0: A military analyst, the director of national intelligence, uh, they say that this could be a long e- a war measured in years. And I think everybody understands why this is happening. But is it sustainable? What do you say to those families who say, listen, we can't afford to pay 4.85 85 a gallon for months, if not years. This is just not sustainable. Well, what you heard from the president today was a clear articulation of the stakes. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. But at the same time, what I'd say to that family and to Americans across the country is, you have a president administration that is going to do everything in its power to blunt the, those price increases and bring those prices down. Welcome back to the Randy Tobler Show here on Freedom Weekend as we celebrate our freedoms and as long as we can keep them and afford them, whether it's the freedom to travel, the freedom to uh, buy and purchase what we'd like, uh, (laughs) that's being threatened by energy policy, the rising spiraling cost of energy uh, and uh, to help us unpack that and maybe to offer some solutions. Is our good friend Mandy Gunasakra from Independent Women's Forum, uh, chief uh, a, a policy analyst there and uh, a veteran of the Trump administration and uh, in the in the EPA agency there. And uh, Mandy, welcome to the program again. It's so great to talk with you. Thanks for joining me on this uh, on this holiday weekend.
1: Yeah, great
0: to be with you, Andy. Hey, I saw this great article in the Daily Caller that you wrote, and I think uh, with all the news coming out of the uh, the Supreme Court at the end of their term, and uh, you know the, the the January 6th committee hearings. Um, uh, it's it's snuck under the radar that the Republican task force on energy climate and conservation have released a plan uh that uh, wow revolutionary ideas like uh six key pillars that seem to just make so much common sense to get us back to an energy uh, get our rudder straight on the energy policy i'd like to talk with you about that and then we can touch on the scotus epa thing as well since you were uh, intimately involved in epa matters uh, in the uh, in the trump administration um tell us about this this, this didn't uh, get reported anywhere that i saw the republican task force with a with a solid plan for energy uh, energy renewal in our country
1: yeah it's it's unfortunate how that works um something like the green new deal gets wall-to-wall coverage but it's full of unrealistic policies that are actually going to cause more harm than good the republicans on the flip side um especially this congress now let me just say this uh republican plan and approach to growing the economy and protecting the environment is nothing new it's just never really reported but in recently gearing up for the retaking of the majority leader McCarthy has assigned a variety of congressmen and women on certain task force to address important issues and one of them as you point out is on energy climate and conservation so they've been coming out with a series of policies Um, that are all about unleashing our resources, using them responsibly, encouraging that, and then continuing to advance reasonable protections that don't don't serve as barriers to that economic growth, but ensure economic growth is done in the cleanest, most efficient, environmentally aware manner. And so they have a six-pillar process, and part of that, too, is also ensuring the actions we take here domestically set us up for success on the global stage. Global competition is a big deal, and what we don't want to do is sell out the success and well-being of American businesses um, because we're putting up too much too many regulations that deter the ability to compete on the global stage um, as we've seen in the past so it's a lot of really good ideas they've got policy statements but then they've got a series of b- bills so when they take back the majority I don't want to jinx it but when they most likely take back the majority later this year and they're gearing up in January next year mm-hmm. they can hit the ground running provide meaningful um, policies provide relief to the American people grow our economy, but continue the trend of doing it in the most environmentally aware manner
0: you know, these things, as you say, these things all interconnect. I mean, the the energy stance interconnects with border security and protecting American jobs. uh, And that connects with, um, you know, our foreign policy and how we interact with Russia and China. And I like the way this uh, task force uh, report, and and we'll be seeing more of the details over the next couple of months, as you write in the Daily Caller article, Um, you know, it, 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 This is a coordinated plan that the Republicans are putting out, despite the Democrats continuing to say, well, they don't have a plan. They don't have a plan. I mean, whether it's health care, whether it's energy, that's the accusation. But in fact, there is a plan. It just never sees the light of day in the legacy media. That will be part of the challenge leading to the midterms, won't it? And and the bigger question is, is this? Is this beginning to coalesce into sort of a contract with America, Newt Gingrich style back in the 90s? Are we going to see that kind of a structured offering by the Republicans leading up to the midterms or not?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I believe they're calling it an investment in America, but very much along the same lines of, um, going out and when when it's people running for the House of Representatives or for the Senate, making clear, um, yes, this is who I am, this is what I believe, and these are the policies I'm going to push. And I can tell you, Randy, I'm super excited about Congress stepping up um, because for for too long. Um, Congress, they have shirked some of their legislative responsibilities that have been picked up by either activist judges throughout the court systems or overtaken by unchecked bureaucrats in the administrative state. And so it's really great that they have tangible policies that can be pushed forward and what it will do in the long term It's a much more responsible approach to setting up the American people for certain policy outcomes because you're not going to have these drastic swings like you did in the Trump administration where you had folks like us come in where we supported pro-growth policies alongside environmental protection versus now it's swung back the other way where you have anti-growth policies um, all in the name of activist climate change um, and that that swing is what is really harming the American people and making it hard for our economy to be on a platform for constant growth. So Congress stepping in, making this, this contract, so to speak, an investment with America is going to be vital to ensure we continue on a steady path of growth and implement policies that have broad bipartisan support and protect them from the whims of either activist judges or unchecked bureaucrats that try to push unpopular policies that harm the American people in the long run.
0: You know, as I think about it, when it comes to the relationship between prosperity in this country and conservation and clean air and water, I mean, it was really the it was really the prosperity brought through brought about uh, through the Reagan policies that brought uh, the ability of America to fuel what is among the cleanest air and water in the whole planet despite what the what the radical left will say, we've done a darn good job in this country and you're not able to to propel innovation and the technology that enables clean air and water like we have compared to the 60s, let's say, uh, and the 70s and isn't it ironic that they, they want to kill the golden goose that laid the environmental egg and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that one of the pillars here is <laughs> conservation with a purpose. I hope I'm not overstating that, but I think in the big broad picture, that's probably true, isn't it?
1: That's 100% true. I'm so glad you brought that up because we lead the world in environmental improvement across the board. Um, A few stats here from air quality perspective. So US EPA started measuring um, the presence of a variety of pollutants in air, water, and and the legacy pollution um, in land and soil quality. Uh, They really set up Uh, measurements in the 1970s and since then on the air quality side we've reduced all manner of air pollutants by 74 percent and on the um on the water side we've massively improved the ability to um to ensure americans have access to clean water we are number in the world for access to clean water and in cleaning up legacy pollution um you know we in the trump administration we cleaned up more what we call superfund sites but these are some of your most polluted Because of an industrial past where environmental awareness was not a part of the everyday vernacular, we cleaned up a variety of sites, and that's breathing new life into communities that have been left behind for generations. So we have an amazing environmental story, and it's because, as you rightfully point out, we embrace innovation and working with people to figure out solutions, not by telling people not to use certain types of energy or shutting industries down.
0: You're so right. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, we can't we can't let them get away with uh, accusing us of things that are just patently false. And in fact, uh, the Republican mantra of prosperity with conservation are absolutely compatible. Those are not exclusive things, mutually exclusive. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, since you were involved with the the formulation of the policies that muzzled the EPA and suppressed some of them, and attempted to sort of uh, restrict some of the fourth, the, the fourth branch of government that uh, that bureaucracy that goes unregulated and but yet uh, rules over our lives in many ways and now that's been undone with the scotus uh well it's been actually reinforced now with the scotus regulation yeah. after biden tried to deconstruct what the trump administration had done um uh, your feelings your reaction to the the supreme court uh, ruling on the, the coal-fired power plants well, it's long
1: overdue that the agency was given too much deference or too much leeway, so to speak, um, to go about and taking provisions of the Clean Air Act um, that were important. They were all about reducing emissions at industrial facilities. But EPA, what they did, and this goes back to the Obama administration, um, they attempted to bypass Congress when they could not pass cap and trade legislation that was all designed at adding costs to fossil based energy, coal in particular, but they also have their eye on natural gas and oil. Um, when they failed to pass that back in 2010 in Congress, that started a whole mechanism whereby they were looking to the agencies to push these unpopular policies anyway. And so what they did is they would re, they would reread existing authorities at agencies and add in, uh, new view of expanded power and that's what they did with the clean power plan and fast forward to today the supreme court said no agencies you cannot go about restructuring entire industrial sectors um premise off of small provisions of your of your um, existing authorities you cannot do that unless congress explicitly grants you that authority and it's specific to epa they do not have the authority to shut down facilities upon which they they do not like that is not in the um, in the mission or within the authorizing statutes of the u.s environmental protection agency but it's broader than that because this also can apply to other agencies because of the legal doctrine they applied applied called the major questions doctrine that is just that agencies cannot go about um, embarking on actions that have major political or economic significance unless Congress specifically speaks to it. So it's a huge check on what we've experienced, certainly my whole career um, was this gradual and continual growth of the fourth branch of government, which is the administrative state. So I'm beyond thrilled. It is a great day for a check on bureaucracies, but it's a great day for the voice of the American people, because that is what Congress represents. Congress has been specific in the past. The agencies attempted to ignore that, and the Supreme Court said, no, you cannot ignore that, and you have to respect it.
0: And that's what's so beautiful about this so on this uh, on this July 4th weekend, you know, with that decision basically saying, hey, uh, stick to what the statute authorizes you to to do and to stay within your lane, agency A, B or C. In this case, it's EPA. And I'd love to see it be applied to HHS. There were a few HHS authorities that unfortunately were extended uh, and authorized. But as a healthcare guy, I'm hoping maybe they'll uh, maybe John Roberts will uh, talk to Mandy Gunasekro next time when he makes it a health care decision, because I don't know. He he seems to like to make it up as he goes when it comes to health care, Mandy. I don't know. But, uh, hey, I want to thank you on this July 4th weekend. You've been so gracious with your time. And, folks, I want you to know that Mandy was really, as the chief of staff at the EPA, was the chief architect for um, the withdrawal from the Paris Accord and repeal of that very clean power plan. So you're talking to a serious insider that had a lot of influence uh, in, this, uh, in the Trump plan. And we hope that we see that influence come back one way or another. Aside from your uh, all of the great uh, analysis you're doing at Independent Women's Forum and, and many other organizations. Thanks so much Mandy. We hope you have a great weekend and uh, bask in the glow of that EPA decision. You deserve it.
1: <laughs> I will. Thank you and, and happy fourth to you and your listeners, Randy.
0: All right, take care. There she is, Mandy Gunasakra. and uh, you can learn more about her and read uh, her blog and so forth on uh, iwf.org, Independent Women's Forum. They're one of the great groups that uh, really advocate for those values that we that we celebrate this uh, this uh, weekend, independence. And the Independent Women's Forum. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk to Laura Reese of the Heritage Foundation and talk about another Supreme Court decision, the stay, remain in Mexico policy. We didn't win on that one. We'll talk about its consequences. We're just around the corner on the Tober Show here on 1019 one News Talk STL. We're on
2: I was thinking about this and, you know, right now what you're going to hear is it's a smuggler's fault. It's a smuggler's fault. It's a smuggler's fault. You know, I've been covering this for several decades now and smugglers have been bringing people over in all of the entirety of the time that I've been covering this story. And you didn't used to hear these kinds of stories, these kinds of deaths. This is, in fact, a result of the police state that exists now along the U.S.-Mexico border in general and in Texas, people just don't realize you can't kind of just get in a car and
0: drive through the state of Texas. The Border Patrol is everywhere. There are checkpoints. And this is what people will resort to. Well, there you go. That was Maria Hinojosa, who's a journalist who follows uh, Border Matters on the Joy Reid program, basically Blaming security and border security and uh, Texas law enforcement for the outcomes uh, that we saw in uh, the horrific outcomes in that uh, refrigerant truck. Uh, last uh, last week. And uh, in the wake of the Supreme Court decision Remain in Mexico, I'm just so flummoxed about this and so jacked up over it. I just can't wait to talk to our guest now, Laura Reese, Director of Border Security and Immigration uh, Center and Senior Research Fellow for Homeland Security at Heritage. Laura, thanks for joining me on this, uh, this America's Birthday Weekend. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. I'm amazed at how the left is flipping the carnage going on to illegal immigrants now. To It's not the perpetrator's fault. It's not the smuggler's fault. It's the fault of attempts of those on the Border Patrol and others, law enforcement, that are desperately trying to stop the hordes coming over. Nearly 250,000 in May. It is an absolute atrocity. And now, with the Supreme Court saying, uh, sorry, no more remain in Mexico, it looks like it's only going to get worse, doesn't it?
2: Yes, sadly it is. And, uh, yeah, the administration is twisting itself into a pretzel to try and blame others. Uh, But just like Americans know it's not Russia's fault that we are facing gas increases and inflation, Americans know it is the Biden administration's open border policies that have resulted in historic levels of illegal crossings, including that tragic and historic mass smuggling
0: casualty last week it was just terrible let's talk about the uh, remain in mexico policy and i know uh, that there's a great article by the way folks that uh, laura wrote on the daily signal and uh, we'll put that on our facebook page uh, for the show page here after the show Um, but you talked about the enormous success of this program and now it's going to be undone how successful was it and what will be the impact now that it's going away
2: Well, if if, uh, people recall, we were facing caravans in 2018, and um, the Trump administration took a authority that Congress had passed in 96, but no prior president had used before. uh, And that was the notion that if you're going to seek asylum, you have to wait on the southern side of the border while your proceedings um, happen. And once migrants learned that saying a few words of fear was no longer their golden ticket to get into the U.S. to disappear, then they stopped coming. The caravan stopped. And so while we put hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens into the Remain in Mexico program, the more important number is the number of migrants that didn't come because that program was in place. It was a prevention tool, and that is what is needed. Uh, Lots of prevention tools and consequences so that then you don't have the smuggling and the trafficking and the deaths at the border and the fentanyl getting in and dead Americans.
0: So, in other words, aside from the direct... Impact of those uh, would-be illegals that were then, you know, that put uh, back in Mexico rather than cross the border. Um, it was the message that was sent, and I, I get the sense that it was that deterrence message. Just a combination of hey, we're building a wall. Hey, we mean business about border security. Hey, there's this remain in Mexico program. <laughs> That's a ex- 180 degree opposite from. Joe Biden's message of, hey, come on, come on down, come on through, welcome to America. So messaging matters, doesn't it?
2: Right, and and the number, it comes down to a single question for both the smugglers and would-be illegal aliens. How is it easy to get through that border right now? And if the answer is yes, and people who get in call home to their family and friends and say, hey, I got in, now's the time, that message spreads and the smugglers Uh, Become very wealthy, and right now we are seeing people from three quarters of the globe crossing that border.
0: That's crazy. Um, We're talking with Laura Reese from uh, Heritage's uh, Border uh, Security and Immigration Center. Um, Is there any now? This was specifically about a Texas challenge, as I understood it. Biden um, rescinded this early in his administration, and then the, the Supreme Court, was it was it the Texas Court or Supreme Court that said, you have to reinstate it? And, and as I understand it, it was sort of tepidly reinstated, uh, and this was a Texas challenge. Was that, uh, Help me, walk me through the legalistics of this, how this all work out.
2: Yeah, so the Biden campaign, in fact, declared that they were going to end this program if Biden won. And on day one that he got into office, they stopped uh, enrolling new people into the remain in Mexico. Then in June, they issued a short, inadequate memo explaining why they were uh, ending the program. And so Texas and Missouri sued and the federal district court agreed with the states and ordered the administration to continue the program. Um, and the administration said, OK, we'll comply, but we're still going to fight this. And so they they put, they enrolled very low numbers into the program just to say, yes, court were in compliance, when in fact they weren't really using the tool. Uh, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed with the lower court and. Uh, even though the administration then had written a new longer memo explaining why they were ending the program uh, so then it went to the supreme court and uh, the supreme court said it was okay for the administration to end this program because of the statute it says dhs may do remain in mexico it doesn't read shall
0: Oh And they Mexico? yeah, some kind of a construct about uh they're going they're not going to wade into foreign policy that that's an executive matter. But then in your piece on the Daily Signal, I, I guess I missed this. You said finally the majority gave the government a pass on the issue of mass parole. Did they did they did this court go beyond what was reported in all the headlines and actually sort of Give a give a wink and a nod to catch and release and bye bye. You you know have a nice day in America, or not? Is well, that what that was, was
2: about? This was this was something that was interesting during the oral arguments. We had three justices really take the government to task about abusing parole, including Justice Kagan. Uh, they even used the term mass parole. Now parole is supposed to be given on a case by case basis for humanitarian reasons or in significant public. Uh, benefit. So, the classic example is if someone needs emergency surgery, they don't have time to go get a visa. They can parole in, have their surgery, recover, and then they're supposed to go home. But this government is mass paroling most of these illegal aliens into the country. And despite that, that questioning during the oral arguments in the majority opinion, they merely said DHS has authority to parole. They didn't get into the mass parole. And and Justice Alito took him to task on that and had really good language about that in the dissent.
0: Is there any hope of reeling that? I mean, since when does the Department of Homeland Security and not, I mean, uh, uh, immigration judges have that purview? (laughs) seems like it's a a misplaced authority to me, but I'm, you know, I don't get it
2: yeah that is something that is in the statute that's to the discretion of the of the Secretary of Homeland security and this administration and the Obama administration have grossly abused it and violated it.
0: Wow. Holy cow. Well, I think this is going to be a premier priority topic, uh, you know, and policy matter as the midterms come up, don't you? I mean, with the hordes coming across and I mean, and and it does impact the economies of those border states and, and the states increasingly that people are being transported to in the in the dark of night. I mean, I think don't you think this is going to rise to, you know, near the top uh, two or three? I know economy will be number one, but this this is an increasing crisis. Uh, and d- Despite how the the left tries to with their January sixth committee hearings tries to veil it, it's the the people are are, are aware of this how it impacts their economy and uh, their employment and their wages. Frankly, too, I think it's going to be a big issue. You?
2: Yes, it's it's the top two or third issue for Americans because they this affects everyone's daily lives, whether it is. the, the danger of fentanyl, uh, which is killing our, uh, the leading killer of young people uh, in the country, or it is crime. crowded schools, etc. And so um, Americans, everybody, human beings want to be safe, no matter where they come from, what they look like. They want to be safe and secure. And this administration has just thrown the border wide open, and it is really endangering Americans. And I fear that it's going to take a terrorist attack before this administration will change course. And just today, there was another story of a number of Iranians caught among a large group uh, trying to sneak into the border. And when we have about a million Godaways, we have to assume that there are uh, very bad people mixed in those groups uh, here now uh, planning to do
0: Harm to Americans. Yeah, it seems to me as though we really don't have an accurate number on. I mean, the, the, the gotaways are the ones that I guess they identified, but didn't catch, or they had to release. I don't know what the what the what the denominator is, but we don't even know the whole denominator because there's people that are streaming across that are never we're never aware of that. Is that's a that's a substantial number, isn't it? I mean, I don't know that we really know what it is, but it's a substantial number, isn't it?
2: Absolutely, and uh, and it's an estimate based on tracking, based on uh, video footage. Uh, but, but our Border Patrol agents are stretched so thin and having to act as, as paper processors and travel agents, that's their term, um, that it, it ties them up for two hours per person, uh, which opens up you know, great swaths of the border. And uh, the, the smugglers and the traffickers can, can cross easily. And so, yes, the, these are uh, historic numbers of gotaways. So President Biden is, is uh, making a lot of historic records.
0: But all bad ones. <laughs> yeah, right. And and it is it is having a tremendous impact on uh, on like I said the economies. I know uh, being in the healthcare industry, I know people working in hospitals and healthcare facilities um, along the border states, and they're just inundated with cases that obviously you can't say no to it on on both a moral and a legal basis. But that then um, that stretches resources that are already increasingly thin in healthcare, so that uh, American citizens may have to wait for emergency care. They may not get the same, uh, you know, level of care or um, attention that I think that they they deserve. And again, it it, it just revolves around propriety. And I don't know, uh, on this on this Fourth of July weekend, one of the primary roles of government is security and it seems like they have just thrown that uh, to the wind. It's just it's terrible to see. Again, Laura Reese, thanks for being with me. I really appreciate it. And I again we'll direct folks to your uh, to your great piece and we'll post that on a Facebook page uh, on the Randy Tober show. Have a great uh, and a fabulous uh, fourth of July weekend. Hopefully we can continue to fight this fight, get the word out and change the tide come this midterm election. Thanks so much.
2: Well thank you thank you for having me.
0: Laura Reese, at Laura underscore Reese, R-I-E-S, on Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. We'll have to break, and then when we come back, the great Virginia Cruda joins us. I'm sure she has some thoughts about border security, about Remain in Mexico, about our economy. We'll talk with her about that straight ahead here on 1019 941 News Talk STL, The Tobler Show. It was a historic act Finland and Sweden. Two countries with a long tradition of neutrality and choosing to join NATO. Some of the American press will remember when I got a phone call from the leader of Finland saying, could he come and see me? And he came the next day and said, will you support my joining my country, joining NATO? I got on the telephone. He suggested we call the leader of Switzerland. Switch them. My good, my goodness. I'm, I'm getting really anxious here about expanding NATO. Oh, Sweden. And what happened was, I got on the phone and she asked if she could come the next day to want to talk about joining NATO. Well, I'm rambling, 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 I'm a rambling. Guy. Well, I'm rambling, 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 rambling. Well, there's Joe Biden on his magical mystery marvelous tour to NATO in the summit. it's okay Sweden, Switzerland, they start out similarly, the first two consonants, that's okay and they're on the same continent so I don't know, Virginia Cruda being the very prolific and concise and very precise author and uh, writer that she is, I'm sure got a kick out of that and she joins us now on our regular visit, how you doing and happy birthday to America weekend to you Virginia Uh, good morning you too (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I wanted to talk with you in general about the deflection of a foreign trip and the upcoming trip to Saudi Arabia. This is what presidents do when uh, they're in domestic heat, right? They they pile on the foreign policy trips and take the spotlight off what's going on at home. It's interesting, isn't it?
2: Yeah, you know, and, and it's the same thing when there's foreign policy disasters going on. Then they, they dig in at home and do... You know, they they start initiatives that don't actually do anything, and, you know, you you saw that after Afghanistan, that there was all this focus on what was the next variant going to be and what was going to, you know, what exactly was he going yeah. to do yeah. to get kids back in school, and, and there was <laughs> <You're> all, <right. laughs> all of that, you know, right after Afghanistan, so...
0: Hey, your thoughts, uh, speaking of foreign policy, he announced, uh, what, another 11, was it 11 billion the other day? I mean, another substantial chunk of cash for Ukraine. Uh, You know, I was initially a supporter of sending a message to Putin by way of support for Ukraine that, hey, Mm -hmm. uh, not only Putin, but uh, uh, Xi Jinping and and the Iranian mullahs, hey, guys, there's a limit to what we'll let you tyrants get away with, and that's going too far to just invade another country willy-nilly. On the other hand, this thing is turning into a quagmire. It looks like a gradually losing battle for Ukraine. We're sending more and more money over there at a time when, you know, our deficits are growing. Uh, what, are, what are your current thoughts about our our policy with regard to Ukraine?
2: Um, at, at some point, you have to fish or cut bait so you need to decide are you supporting ukraine or are you not because like we we got into this um when uh wilson didn't want to get in world get into world war 1 you know that there was well, well we'll help them but we're not involved we'll help them but we're not involved and the amount of money that american presidents will pay in order to pretend they're not involved in something has always been impressive. Um, And and now because of inflation and because of just how much money is in play here, you see it, you know, you can see it a lot closer. And also, you know, we, we see what the government is doing a lot better than we did, you know, 100 years ago. So when Wilson was doing this in you know nineteen fifteen nineteen sixteen, it was um, he could actually run on the the word the the, the, the phrase uh, he kept us out of World War One and people didn't know any better. But here, you know, how far how much money can we give before? Putin says, well, that constitutes involvement, and then he attacks a NATO country. Now, one, I don't think Putin's going to attack a NATO country, but I think he is perfectly fine with us running ourselves broke trying to help Ukraine while he just twiddles his thumbs.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: I I don't, yeah, I don't I think agree. Putin has any problem at all with us doing that, and I think we should have a problem with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's people that disagree with me on this, but I, I eh, along the fish bait, uh, either fish or cut bait, you know, um, sentiment that you that you expressed. I, I'm hoping that behind the scenes. With every dollop of money that comes from the U.S., I hope that someone's talking to Zelensky and say, look, man, there comes a point at which you're you're decimating your population. Let's have some serious negotiations because, you know, our lifeline here to you is not going to be eternal. And you've got right. to have a negotiated settlement here. I, and I know that a lot of people are unhappy with that, but the alternative is full in, you know, uh, uh, no fly zone, right. you know, the whole deal. And and I don't think anyone's got an appetite for that. But by the same token, I'm getting tired of throwing no money that, either. frankly, leading a, a, a safety net hospital in rural Missouri that's that's struggling to keep its doors open. Man, we could sure use a couple hundred thousand. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> so, and yeah. and I'm not suggesting that you. Could give up you know I'm, I'm not suge- suggesting that Ukraine stop fighting back against Russia but I am suggesting that if Ukraine can't fight back against Russia it's not on us to make sure that they can
0: yeah, no, I agree absolutely. I, I couldn't uh, couldn't agree with you more. Um, you're, the, well, we've had a, another couple weighty decisions come down from the Supreme Court last week as they ended their term, which I think, on balance, was probably a B plus A minus term for constitutional mm-hmm. originalism and textualism, whatever you want to say, limiting the uh, the powers of uh, governmental agencies in the executive branch. On on the one yeah. hand, when it comes to stay in Mexico, on the other hand, oh, okay, they validated that, but. Um, mm-hmm. What was your overall grade uh, for the, for the Supreme Court? Your your reaction to this term?
2: I, I would have given a similar grade. I do think it's funny, though. I, I know you saw the decision come down on the EPA, where they said that the EPA is limited on on what regulations it can put forth as far as uh, climate and and things like that. And of course, the left lost their ever loving mind. So you've got Rashida Tlaib talking about how it's a fascist Supreme Court because they effectively told Congress, no, no, you can't rely on the EPA to make regulations. You have to make regulations because guess what? Congress is a regulatory body and that's your job. Yeah. And then <laughs> you know, right. you've got Justice Neil Gorsuch, Gorsuch who's writing this and I'm I'm such a nerd. I will tell you, I love reading Supreme Court decisions because the judges are constantly taking pot shots at each other, and I love it. Yeah, uh, I, and this I goes love it. Yeah. Way back, this goes way yeah. back. I mean, you you can see Scalia was just vicious sometimes when he was yeah. talking to the other. Like I can't believe these justices are this stupid. It it literally <laughs> reads like that. And. But what Gorsuch said, and he was directing his his criticism at Congress, was saying, you know, you can't expect the Supreme Court or the the Supreme Court to to make decisions on regulation, you know, and that that's coming from a bureaucratic body like the EPA, because as a nine member unelected body, we are wholly. Um, yeah, we are wholly inadequate to do that, and so you know it's it's this self deprecating. We're not elected. We're not, you know, we're just nine people. And oh, by the way, you are five hundred and thirty five people strong that the American people elected, and it's your job to represent them when you do this. So, by the way, uh, maybe you should do your job and stop asking us to do it. Was how this thing (laughs) reads. And it was great. So, and and then you've got Rashida Tlaib, who was basically told she had more power in the situation, not less. And she's calling the Supreme Court fascist because of it. And the reality, and and if (laughs) if you read between the lines, the Supreme Court is fascist for telling her to do her job because she can't do the job that she wants to do. She wants to ram these ram these things down their throats. She wants unelected bureaucrats to be doing it because then the people have no recourse.
0: No, you're, if you're you so do right. It the
2: elected, if you do it through the elected representatives, the people can elect different representatives. But if you do it through the EPA, they have no recourse except a Supreme Court case, and you can see how long that takes.
0: Yeah, you're right. Uh, talking about uh, the Supreme Court and the separation of powers, and Propriety and Spree Decor. President Biden yep. took a page out of the Obama playbook. Max, that yep. cut uh, is uh, with Biden uh, talking about the Supreme Court. And I thought that this was just really um, just such a small petulant um way to act but of course we'll play then a flashback to president obama right after that but but to get your reaction in terms of just the interaction between branches listen to biden the one thing that has been destabilizing is the outrageous behavior of the supreme court of the united states an overruling not only roe v wade but essentially challenging the right to privacy we've been a leader in the world in terms of personal rights the, the outrageous behavior of the Supreme Court, that harkens back to a moment during a State of the Union speech with Justice Alito shaking his head. I think it was in the wake of the, uh, I think it was in the wake of a gun control decision. Uh, and here's what but Obama said, and he caught a lot of heat for it. With all due deference to separation of powers, last week the Supreme Court reversed a century of law that I believe will open the floodgates for special interests, including foreign corporations to spend yeah, for, without limit yeah, yeah, it was for voting, not gun control. And, um, but you, you see, and, and even Obama, among even many liberals, t- caught some heat for that, because, you know, it was, it, there used to be respect between the branches, but now that just seemed everything in terms of our, I don't know, on this July 4th weekend, I guess I, as a traditionalist, would like to see a little propriety, a little civil behavior between the branches. Yeah, you can be vigorous, you can be disagree, you can disagree, but, um, there's a way to do it, and using words like outrageous, and you know, other like you said, legislators calling it fascist. Man, they've just uh, discretion has just gone out the window, hasn't it, Virginia?
2: Well, it, it's it's all very targeted. This is this is poll tested. I would bet um, the idea they they have to they have to delegitimize the Supreme Court. They have to because. Otherwise, they have to take responsibility for being wrong. If the Supreme Court is truly an independent and deliberative body the way it's supposed to be, you know, then then they're on the wrong side of this and they've been on the wrong side of a lot of decisions. And to say this about the court, I have not seen a Supreme Court do so much to return to a a literal reading of the Constitution in such a short time in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Just in the last week and a half. But for Biden and for Democrats to come out with this, listen to what they're saying when they're not directly attacking the Supreme Court, though. They're talking about adding justices. They're talking about how the court is illegitimate because of Merrick Garland and, and, and what have you. They are prepping to pack the court because they know that that November is going to be a washout and yeah. they have to do as everything they can between now and then. And if that means pack the court, if that means, you know, I, I don't think that they really understand though, what the damage that they'll do, not just packing the court, because I don't, I don't know that Republicans would necessarily do that, but getting rid of the filibuster and all these other things that they want to do, they might they might say, oh well, well we're going to pack the court, and then if people like Joe Manchin and Cinema kind of stand in the way of that, they might say, oh well, okay, but will you will you carve out the filibuster for this voting rights bill or codifying Roe v Wade or whatever it else it is that they want to ram through before? Because anything they can do legislat- legislatively before November is going to be a lot harder to undo, even if we do retake. Because, you know, say they do something like codify the abortion protections in Rome, right? And we take control of the House in November and the Senate. How many House members and senators do we have who are squishy enough on abortion rights that they would leave exceptions in place and say, Oh well maybe
0: they the only push the first trimester and
2: Collins and Murkowski. <laughs> you're right. The in the Senate. And I know you I, have House members who will do that. I agree. It'll-
0: I, I, I can't agree with you more. Hey, we're running up against a hard break here. Happy Fourth of July to you, Virginia Cruda, a true freedom fighter at VA Cruda on Twitter. Thanks for joining me. You too. All right, there she is. Back with Art Arthur, Center for Immigration Studies, in just a minute.